Hey, hello you legends. All right, we're back here. This is the third episode of the Geopolitics and Power podcast. We're looking at the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. One of the more absurd names for a piece of infrastructure that I've ever seen. The Grand Ethiopian Dam would have done, but they put they threw Renaissance in there just for good measure. I'm not sure what that's about, but we're going to talk about the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. This is a piece of infrastructure that sits on the Ethiopian-Sudanese border and threatens Egyptian water security. But before I get into it, I just want to urge you all to pump your good juice into the algorithm, put your energy into the algorithm, and support the Geopolitics and Power podcast, because it's the only way that um, people ever hear about it. The hardest part about this content creation stuff is the discovery. Now, I'm also running the Inserto and Assim to Lab podcast. If you're into his ideas, and you'll see a little crash course on that sort of stuff over there, that's going to be in the description. And then also, of course, the What About When podcast, which is my interview podcast that I'm having really cool guests on, the most recent of which was a guy called Michael Yaus. And if you're interested in the Geopolitics and Power podcast, then you'd be very interested in the company that he's running. It's called Vestigard. Now, they've made over 800 million malaria nets. They service Africa. Me and him spoke about the future of Africa, complexities of Africa. I think if you're into this sort of stuff, then you're really going to be into that. You're going to find that in the description as well. Overall, subscribe to these podcasts. Pump your juice into these podcasts. That's the only sort of fucking plugging that I want to be doing because I want to talk about this uh, this project. It's very, very interesting. It has geopolitics, power, influence, China, US, Africa. It's got all the it's got all the nice. Um, High-level topics that I want to touch on it, written into this one piece of infrastructure. Now I'm going to give a bit of, um, I'm going to provide a bit of a skeleton sort of expectations for you for what you're going to hear about because I realized on my last episode the China Nicaragua Canal it didn't have the structure. Um, so I just want to make sure that you guys follow around. So this is what we're going to talk about. First, I'm going to introduce to you the Nile. Now you all know the Nile River, obviously, but we're going to go into it a little bit more. Then we're going to talk about what the actual dam is. Then we're going to cover the controversy surrounding the dam. And then I'm going to touch on maybe what the real threat is, the international interest and the current state of affairs and that sort of stuff. So four distinct chapters. All right. So let's kick it off right now. The Nile is the longest river on earth. It streams for well over 6,000 kilometers and chops through 11 countries, birthing life to wherever it flows. It was the beating heart of the Egyptians ancient all the way through to the modern. The Nile is really simply more than a water source. It is home and sanctuary to millions of our animal comrades. Egypt's Nile is the combined rivers of the White Nile, which begins in Tanzania, and the Blue Nile, which begins in Ethiopia. So the actual river that runs through Egypt... Now, I, I, I've always just taken it for granted. It's like, oh, it's the Egyptian Nile. I guess it you know starts and finishes in Egypt. No... Turns out that the uh, geography of rivers and, and, and lakes and mountains, they don't give a shit about our sort of sovereign borders that we drew on a map. Okay, so this river runs through, like I said, 11 countries and it ends in Egypt, right? So if anyone further down, you think about it, think about it as a supply chain, you know, Egypt is the final consumer. If anyone before tries to fuck with a supply chain, the end product is going to be significantly different. So... The White Nile and the Blue Nile form together to create the Egyptian Nile. The White Nile begins in Tanzania and the Blue Nile begins in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is actually the conceiver of many rivers in Africa. It's often referred to as Africa's water tower given its height and elevation. Of the eventual Nile which flows through Egypt... Ethiopia's Blue Nile contributes significantly more than Tanzania's white. I saw something even 90%, 10% was the contribution. So the Ethiopian uh, Blue Nile is the really, really important factor 
to take into account for Egyptians' eventual Nile. So what's the problem here? What is the dam? Ethiopia has built the sixth largest dam in the world on its border with Sudan, and all the water for this dam is being tapped from the Blue Nile. And since the Blue Nile is the primary funnel into the Egyptian Nile, the dam is essentially a faucet on Egypt's water supply, and Ethiopia holds the keys. Now, this is the massive problem here. You know, you've got a giant dam, which can be filled up with loads and loads of water. And what happens if you fill it up at one end? Well, the stream sort of trickles out at the other end. So let's talk a bit, a bit, a bit more about that. The dam's purpose is actually to be a hydroelectric power plant. Now, that is its ultimate purpose. It will also serve as a bit of a hedge for drought um, periods, but it's to create a bunch of green energy, which, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, it's a good project. The problem is, is just getting the details right so no one gets fucked in the process. Now, this is where it gets a bit shady. In 2011, a joint product project was announced with China to build the dam, and construction finished last year in 2020. A day after the project was made, a $4.8 billion contract was awarded without competitive bidding to an Italian company called Salini Impreghilo. It's the classic developing economy shadiness when it comes to big deals. Chinese financing, no competitive bidding, Italian company gets to build the, the dam. Things smell a little bit economic hitman-y to me. And to learn more about economic hitman, listen to my first podcast, but I will do actually a dedicated podcast to it at a later point, but it will take us down too much of a tangent. If you know, you know. If you don't, you'll find out soon in another podcast. So a bit of the logistics of the dam. It sits on the border with Sudan, and although the dam ensures water security during periods of drought, the primary motivation for this for constructing the dam is economic. The electricity Ethiopia will be able to generate from this construction of the dam is measured at a 6.45 gigawatt capacity. Now, to be fair, I don't know what that really means, but we can uh, safely assume that it's tons and tons and tons of electricity. So it will significantly depre- decrease the power for uh, the cost for electricity in Ethiopia, which has its a myriad downstream effects, no pun intended, we're talking about a river, but it has a myriad of downstream effects because cheaper electricity means cheaper input costs, means maybe lower costs at the end of the day, which means which means your products become cheaper on international scale. Maybe it increases trade with you. The increase of trade increases demand for Ethiopian products and that therefore sort of lifts the tide a little bit of Ethiopian standard of living. You know, if Economics 101 actually works the way it should, which by the way, it never does, that's kind of like what they're thinking. So what about the controversy of the dam? Now, this is the really an interesting part and this is the 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 part that drew me into this story as well it's sort of the controversy because hey at, as i've said it so far it's not the it's not the worst idea right i mean they're just building a dam so they can create cheap green electricity i mean egypt's still going to get their water eventually right yeah you're right they will eventually but eventually is the key point because um as we'll go into the controversy begins and ends with egyptian water security and the threat that this piece of infrastructure poses upon it. To put it both very short and very simple, this dam works through the accumulation of water into a reservoir, just the filling of the dam, which can then be released downstream via tight controls in order to move the electric in order to move the electricity generating turbines. It's not a big deal on the surface of things, because Egypt is still getting their water, right? Wrong. It is in the filling process of the dam where the controversy lay. The Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam will supposedly take anywhere from 5 to 15 years to fill. So it is in the filling process of the dam where the controversy lay. 
The implications of this are such that although Egypt's Nile will still flow, the girth of its stream will be significantly corrupted, which is just my overly fanciful way of saying the thickness of the Nile, the amount of actual water that flows through the Nile will be less so. And what are the consequences of it being left so? Well, there are many predictions for the downstream effects a thinner Nile will have on Egypt. Most notably is the agriculture. Most of the um, agriculture that Egypt produces, surprise, surprise, is along the um, banks of the Nile River. Predictions are being thrown around correlating the time it takes to fill the dam with X percent of agricultural yield loss. Predictions extrapolating the movement of people alongside some of the more insecure domestic regions within Egypt, and then other second, third, and fourth order effects, which rarely play out as anticipated. Although these predictions do carry weight, you guys know if you've listened to my Nassim Taleb podcast, but if you don't, I'm telling you now, I place very little faith in these types of predictions and think they are more of a statistical style of bullying rather than stated fact they claim to be. Because basically you can lie with statistics, right? So the Egyptian um, propaganda machine can come out and say, Look, Ethiopia, if you fill it up in in uh, five years instead of four years, it's going to yield a 15% uh, crop yield loss on our end at these specific points. And therefore, they can use that as a negotiating chip at the table. Now, the truth is, yeah, maybe you've got really smart people making these predictions, drawing up their models. But at the end of the day, it never plays out exactly as it is, exactly as they state, which means a negotiation chip is just a fucking handful of sand. And if you can convince this other side of the table that it's a rock, then congratulations. But as soon as they pick it up, they're going to find out it's sand as well. And it's just going to fall through their fingers. You know, you're negotiating over nothing really there. Um, But that's also my skepticism. This is not sort of like factual objectivism. You should definitely take into account as well. But what we do know is true is that anything you do at the top of the Nile will have effects downstream. Now, this is obvious. It's in predicting the exact effects, which is less so. But the simple fact alone that we know that Ethiopia filling up its dam for 10 to 15 years will affect Egypt to the other side, that's enough fodder to create extreme controversy. And Egypt obviously has it within their interests for Ethiopia to not fill up the dam the way they want to. And then on the other side of the coin is in Ethiopia's interest to fill up the dam according to how they want, because then they can... Uh, meet their electricity uh, targets that they set for themselves. And perhaps if there's a drought year, they can hold a lot of that uh, water there, whereas before it would have just flowed down through to Egypt. All right. So imagine if you've got a drought in Egypt and the Nile is much thinner than it used to be. Well, I can tell you coming from a country like Australia, which experienced droughts routinely, water restrictions are not a good thing. And water restrictions in Australia are manageable because we have an extremely high standard of living. Water restrictions in Cairo, that could be a grim thing. So what about the real threat here? What's actually happening? African nations are prone to droughts. Surprise, surprise. And it is in my estimation that this is the real threat that the dam poses. What happens when Ethiopia's water security becomes threatened by a drought? Will they continue to let the dam flow in accordance with their agreement with Egypt? Or will they close the faucet and secure fresh water for their exploding population? They have one of the fastest um, uh, growing populations in the world. It is very much a question of geopolitics, but I think history proves that when one's own people are being threatened, it is the non-domestic agenda that gets chopped first. Which is to say, if Ethiopia's water security is being threatened, then they will give up a treaty with Egypt before they let their uh, own Ethiopians go without water. 
Now, the complexities here. Egypt has a very powerful military. They are currently stronger and larger than Ethiopia. But Ethiopia is a much faster growing country. 96 million people live there and they have an increasing standard of living relative to Egypt. Egypt wants a fixed amount of water constantly released from the dam, while Ethiopia wants the flexibility to deal with drought years. I think you can boil it all down, actually, to that point there. Egypt wants a fixed amount of water that they can re- that is reliably released from the dam, regardless of the external circumstances, while Ethiopia wants flexibility to deal with the drought years. So it's in that flexibility where this entire no- negotiation hangs from. <clears throat> Now, this is an infrastructure deal in Africa, so it would be very naive of us to think that the two major global superpowers weren't (laughs) pulling their own strings here, and of course talking about USA and China. So, Ethiopia is making a power play in Africa. This piece of infrastructure is sold through internal propaganda as Ethiopia's route to the very top of the African power ladder, because having this dam would signal a lot of soft power to the rest of Africa, but also uh, real economic power as well. And I have nothing but suspicion for making this claim. Like everything, a lot of it... it, (laughs) But I suspect there is potential China debt diplomacy play underfoot as well. China is Ethiopia's biggest training partner. It is also estimated to have provided more than $16 billion of loans to the Horn of African Nation, which is Ethiopia, including $1.2 billion credit to build transmission lines that that will link to the plant. All right, so China's pause are all over the construction side of this. And I won't go into debt diplomacy here because it is too much of a tangent and is something for another time. If you know, you know. If you don't, you will find out soon. But the combination of these two things sort of, um, you know, causes a lot of skepticism in my skeptical mind. Now, the electricity will help power a Chinese-funded railway that connects landlocked Ethiopia to ports in neighboring Djibouti. Hmm. China again trying to get dominion over other people's ports. That is a very uh, popular theme throughout the world as well. Stability in the region is the most important goal from an international perspective. And for this to be achieved, it requires the completion of the dam and signing of guarantees of constant water flow to appease the Egyptians. The important to note that uh, the US is a big ally of Egypt or nonetheless Egypt has the US on their side, while Ethiopia has China on their side. So there's kind of the opposition play um, theme again. These interests have yet to fully exert themselves, but they certainly bubble and hover beneath the surface. Now, finally, the current state of affairs. Although no final agreements have been met, the dam started being filled last year, and it is estimated that it will take between 5 and 15 years to fill to fill completely. Now, that 10-year sort of range, 5 to 15 years, that's where the problem is. Egypt wants to know exactly how much water they can expect, and then if it's less than they want, they want to be able to negotiate more. The fact that you're just given this sort of vague 5 to 15 years is um, is the real problem here. But for now... The time difference depends on talks between stakeholder nations, and we all watch with interest. Okay, thank you guys. So that was, yeah, that was uh, episode number three of this podcast. I uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Pumped your good, good, good juice into the algorithm. Let the algorithms know that people are listening to this, people like it. If you don't like it, don't leave a review. Just comment at me on Twitter or something, and um, you'll find links to all the other stuff that I'm doing in the podcast notes as well. You're a bloody legend for listening through to the end. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye-bye.